The following talk was given at the Insight Meditation Center in Redwood City, California. Please visit our website at audiodharma.org. So I'll continue today the series of talks I'm giving on the, uh, the discourse on the four foundations of mindfulness. As I've been saying, it's the uh, considered to be the original text, original teachings uh, that uh, lays the foundation for uh, mindfulness practice. And um, it goes back to the, supposedly to the Buddha. And uh, it's a wonderful text. It has a wonderful uh, series of exercises for cultivating mindfulness, cultivating a heightened sense of awareness. And uh, it begins with a series of exercises around mindfulness of the body. And uh, we'll continue that today with another one of the focuses on how to be mindful of your physical embodied experience. And uh, as a way of introducing it, uh, I want to say that um, our bodies are pretty precious. That um, it's easy to take it for granted or to ignore it. And the way, the degree to which our body supports us uh, and carries us, I mean, carries us physically in a sense, you can say, but um, it also carries all, so much of our suffering. If you didn't have a body, you, you wouldn't know you were suffering so much. You know, you would have be mentally distressed, maybe, but um, you know the to feel uh, you know pangs of grief in the heart or the tightness of anger in the belly or to feel the weight of our sadness and and um, all these different emotions we have being hurt. So much is felt in the body, and um, the body never asked for it, and the body you know just holds it, receives it, bees it. And so much, so much, so much of it uh, has its genesis in our minds. Uh, what we tell ourselves, how, how the mind receives the experiences of the world and interprets it and makes meaning out of it or something. And uh, the mind reacts certain ways. And, and uh, it's like uh, in the Buddhist image is that uh, the mind is kind of like a, a puppeteer with strings that go down into the muscles. And so they tug, the mind tugs on different of those strings and then we're, we feel tense or tight or hot or something in different places in our body. And so the body, you know, is, uh, holds, holds and experiences so much of our suffering. And, um, and to speak about it that way as if the body was kind of separate from ourselves in a sense it holds our suffering and experiences it. Uh, is to uh, step back a little bit and try to get a little different perspective on it than we usually have. And, uh, and maybe see it in a different way. And it's possible to, uh, to experience the body as um, something uh, vibrant and alive and pleasant and, uh, that's uh, quite wonderful to experience and feel and be with within. And uh, a lot of that vibrancy and aliveness of the body... <laughs> Uh, is best experienced without a lot of stories about it, without a lot of judgments and commentary and ideas, but it's to take time to experience the physicality, the embodied experience in and of itself. Just allow it to kind of emerge and be there and be present and vibrate. 
And uh, there can be something very deeply satisfying about doing that. But how often do we allow ourselves to do that? To feel the goodness that's there? Uh, Some of the first lessons I had when I started meditating many years ago was I had a lot of physical pain when I meditated. And uh, I struggled with the pain, tried to sit there with it and be present with it best I could. And sometimes it was quite excruciating, my pain. And I didn't know that I could move somehow. I just, you're supposed to just sit there with it. And uh, I was glad that I didn't know I could move because at the time I wasn't happy, but I learned su- such important life lessons from staying with it, the, f- the physical pain I had. And one of the really important things I learned was um, my mind's relationship to the pain. The stories I told myself about the pain. And one of the ones that I used to have that really would get me hooked into it or I would kind of almost like like I would sink into it and just feel that pain so much worse is when I told myself stor- stories of self-pity. You know, poor Gil. And I would just get pulled into that and... Uh, and it was, um, and I, then, then it got much more acute, the pain. And there was kind of no separation from it. It's kind of like I sank into it, or it was like sinking into mud or quicksand or something. And I learned that uh, if I could uh, uh, kind of not do the self-pity thing and just sit and experience the pain without it, it was a lot easier. I learned that when I, when I hated the pain, that, that would, I would, the hate of the pain made it actually worse. And um, sometimes I think the little micro-muscles around the place I felt pain would just tighten up a little bit with the hate. With the hate. And, uh, and so I learned that if I you know, could stop hating it, that it was just a lot easier. And sometimes it was manageable, the pain. I learned about fear. And how that uh, fear fear would operate. I'd have feel 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 pain, and I'd filled with fear. And uh, because I was practicing in a meditation center, we weren't, weren't supposed to move. It was compounded by fear that if I moved, I would be ostracized by the community. You know, that, you know that you know everyone everyone else was sitting but be still. And so the fear would operate, and certainly there was physical pain just from the fear, but um, that also involved a kind of getting glued onto it or overly identified with it or kind of overly entangled with the fear. I was caught in its grip or, you know, I was caught in its web or something. And uh, I learned that if I wasn't afraid, that uh, it was much more manageable. And so I learned to kind of settle the fear, relax the fear and not believe it. And uh, and got this, you know, I had a lot of experience going back and forth because I would get pulled into it and then I would pull myself out somehow, and that was fine for a second and a half. <laughs> and then I'd get pulled into it and, you know, try to be there. And, and slowly, slowly, I learned some distance from it. And I learned also, one of the interesting lessons was um, these stories we tell ourselves. So we don't know we're telling ourselves stories, but we often have a framework, a perspective, an idea of what it's all about. It really is just a story that's kind of maybe so deeply internalized we don't even see it as a story. And sometimes I, I would, I would uh, play around with coming up with a uh, unique new story and see what that effect would have. And uh, one of them, I remember I had, I had uh, sometimes migraines. 
and um, I wasn't meditating, but I was migraine in bed with the migraine, and um, you know, and self-pity operated big time, and all kinds of things operated there, and um, but you know, it also you know, the other thing that operated was a story that this really hurts, this is bad, That's, you know, it's, it was reasonable. You know, I don't want to belittle it, how painful it would be for some people. It's sometimes I, pretty bad. I was laying in bed, you know, so I'm not, I don't go to bed easily around pain, right? So there I was in bed with my migraine. And then I thought, what, why don't I change this? And what if I imagine this, this, all this pain, sharp pain I feel in my head? What if it's just simply growing pains? Like somehow I'm just stretching and getting bigger. My, my brain is getting bigger or a greater capacity. And this is what this is the cost of kind of stretching into a great new capacity. <laughs> so I'd lay there imagining, yes, oh yeah, stretching. And, and it wouldn't feel so bad. It's like, oh yeah, this is great. This is good. You know, I can, I can live with this because it's, it's going to be good. Good stuff is happening. <laughs> I'm getting a better person because of it. And you're laughing at me. <laughs> and... Um, it is kind of silly, right? I mean, it's, you know, it's, it's kind of silly to think, you know. However, it made a difference. It wasn't so bad. So, so what, what, you know, where, what's the pain? Is the pain real? Is the pain, the intensity of the pain, like a fixed thing? Like the universe has a fixed inten- intensity of pain and I have that fixed intensity of migraine and that's what I have to live with as long as the universe is like pushing that button. It's fixed. Or is the intensity of pain variable? Depending on many factors, depending on also the story I'm telling myself. If I'm telling myself self-pity st- stories, uh, if I'm sinking into it, oh, this is hopeless, this is bad, it's terrible, what a bad day, I'm ruined. That's kind of a story. Maybe it's true enough. Let's say it's 100% true. So you're kind of justified to tell yourself that story. But if you stop telling yourself the story, maybe made up another story that was better, the intensity wouldn't be so bad. So, you know, if you're about to throw up from the migraine, and if you tell yourself a different story and then you feel much better, what's the best medicine? Go along with the true story about how horrible and depressing and bad it is? It's bad enough. It's possible to change the story, the ideas, the mental landscape that we have in relationship to what goes on in our body, and it makes a difference. I'm not advocating that we should always go make up new stories, but it's a dramatic lesson of how much what goes on in the mind affects what we experience in the body. What we can learn to do with mindfulness practice is not just make up new stories, creative stories in order to feel better, but we can learn that we don't have to tell the stories. We don't have to operate around some of the interpretations, some of the, the perspectives that we're operating under. And some of those perspectives we have, a lot of them have to do with me, myself, and mine. For me. Uh, or, you know, I really blew it. 
I knew that I shouldn't eat, should not have eaten that food that I'm allergic to, and now I'm having migraine, and I just really am a lousy food eater. And so we tell ourselves a story that kind of like a depressing and kind of makes it worse. But what happens if we just sit there and practice mindfulness instead, a kind of a, a use of attention, a focus of attention that tries to see things in and of themselves independent of interpretations, independent of predictions, independent of a story that connects it to me, myself, and mine. It becomes a different body we live in. And the whole experience of being in a body can shift dramatically. So I want to do a little exercise with you to give you a sense of this. Maybe I did this recently, so you'll forgive me if I just did it. I did it somewhere recently. So did I do the hand thing here? No, I didn't. If you did it, it doesn't hurt to do it again. So, um, so you know, I think all of us here have hands. And, uh, and some people have a relationship to their hands. Uh, if their hands are getting older, they remember when it was younger, and oh, the hand's getting older. Or the hand is too chubby, or too thin, or too short, or too long, or too wrinkled, or too this, or too that, too many freckles, too many age spots. You know, all kinds of, you know, and it's pretty easy to kind of feel like something's not quite right with the hands. So I don't know, some of you hopefully hadn't, haven't gone around thinking about your hands too much like this, but, but you can have ideas about hands or some other body part. There's a lot of suffering in the world about body parts. You know, that's the, that somehow they're too big, they're too small, they're too long, they're too short, too much, too little, too wide, too narrow, just, you know, you, you know, just go on and on, right? And people get depressed and upset and worse and worse. And, you know, some people really pulls them down, 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 down when they think about their body. So if you close your eyes and take your right hand and try not to think about it, any ideas you have about your hand, instead, how does the hand experience itself? What are the sensations that are showing up in the hand? Is there any tingling or vibration or warmth or coolness? Is there pulsing? What are the sensations on the palm of the hand? And are there whatever sensations in the palm of the hand, do they stay fixed? Are they dancing and flashing in and out? What happens in the back of the hand? Are there different sensations in the back than in the front of the hand? Then the fingers, what happens there? So feeling the sensations of the hand, if you really feel intimately the sensations of the hand, you probably don't feel any boundaries, sharp lines, boundary to the hand, edges of the hand. You might have some general sense of where the edges are, but 
There's no sharp edge, it's diffuse with your eyes closed. And you might feel that the sensations of your hand just appear, come and they go and vibrate and pulse the vibrancy of it. There might be some aching, but without any just stories, just to just ache, bouncing around. Chances are, because of the focus of this exercise, you're much more aware of the sensations of your hand than you would have been if we just, I just kept talking and gave a riveting talk and you, you wouldn't have noticed your hand, thought about your hand for minutes, the whole time maybe. But now there's lots of sensations. As you feel those sensations of your hand, the sensations themselves, in and of themselves, do they contain within them any of your judgments and ideas, concepts about you have about your hand? And I hope you say no. Sensations in and of themselves are just vibrating and pulsing and doing their thing, quite independent from this is an old hand or new hand or big hand, small hand, or it's just sensations. Vibrancy and aliveness of sensations. With your hands, with your eyes still closed, put your hand down. What would, ha- what would happen to you if you experienced your body this way? Almost like experiencing your body from the inside out. The body's experience of itself, the sensations of your body pulsing and vibrating and tingling and appearing and disappearing. Separate and distinct from any judgments and ideas of your body. Any thoughts about what's wrong with your body or even what's right with your body. Just the vibrancy of physical sensations in your body. And to the degree to which you can feel the physical sensations of your body in and of itself, and feel the simplicity of that, the immediacy of your physical sensations in your body. And you're not carrying with you a lot of the baggage of your judgments and thoughts and stories and comparisons to other people and everything, just the body by itself. What are some of the baggage, extra things that you've put down for these few minutes about your body? What's not operating? when all you're doing is feeling the aliveness and tingling and sensations pulsing of your body. Can you notice some of the things that for these few minutes you weren't operating, that thoughts you had about your body? So then if, so we can end the exercise, you can open your eyes. So, um, if some of you would be willing to say, did you no- could you notice that uh, the difference between just sensing your body in and of itself versus some of the baggage through which you usually interpret this, the body or judge it or something? And what, what, did, what, did, what was put aside for those few minutes to just experience the body that was a lot easier than experiencing it with your judgments and s- stories and st- you have? Anybody want to share what 
what was put down a little bit. Yes, please. I was able to feel my body relax in a way that I haven't relaxed uh-huh. physically in quite a while. So you became relaxed just feeling the sensations in of themselves. Mm-hmm. Fantastic. So there was no tension that you're used to having. Yeah. Other other things you noticed about that and what what was not operating that may, might usually often be operating and makes it more difficult your, your relationship to your body. My ideas about my emotional state disappeared. A little bit louder. My ideas about my emotional state mm-hmm. disappeared. It was just your ideas sensation. about your emotional state. So you still had an emotional state, but well, I, I had sensations. You, you had I sensations had. that yes. So this is also interesting. The idea to which we can have emotions often come with sensations, but we make up stories and ideas about what those emotions are, and then we have a relationship with those emotions, and they have meaning and purpose and you know, all kinds of things. And it gets a complicated little universe in there. It's not, it's not, some of the stuff is not required. You're not, you're not required to make it so complicated. So maybe a couple of more if you're willing. Over here. I uh, sensed... Uh, fullness in the uh, is that such a word. You, you Fu- more fullness. More fullness. Uh, my hand, especially my hand. Uh-huh. It's not so much my body, but my hand just felt larger because I was aware of more uh-huh. things going on uh-huh. there than normal. Great, great. So, so the fullness of it all, and so in feeling that fullness. Um, what do you, if you're willing to say something, you can, you can say something min- minor, but what do you, what do you happens in your mind uh, when you're reflecting about your body that you, where you lose the fullness? I think it's just not, it's a lack of attention to lack. the, the mm-hmm. hand or the body. That's it. Um, by putting the attention on it, I experienced more things going on, uh, and it just enters my mind as though it were an expansion. Great, beautiful. So, then right next to you. Um, I was just going to say the I felt like my thoughts felt much more real when my body sort of receded to the background, uh-huh. and it was kind of interesting to be like, no, the the body is what's real, or and then and then it felt like the mind went to the background. Uh-huh. So the more you're in your body, the, the, the thoughts that you have aren't so substantial or so strong or so mm-hmm. invested in, or, and um, they, don't have, they don't dominate. Mm-hmm. Exactly. And, uh, and if you're like most people, uh, um, chances are uh, your thoughts are not 100% accurate. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> okay, great. So hopefully I gave you some sense. So, um, so it's possible to experience one's body in different ways. One can experience it through the filter or the lens of our concepts and ideas. And it's also possible to um, 
to drop those concepts and ideas and experience it much more in the immediacy of the sensations as they occur. Uh, if we have it, uh, concepts of it all, uh, those concepts might not be so accurate or so useful. One of the less useful ones from a Buddhist point of view are concepts that have a lot to do with me, myself, and mine. Self, uh, the uh, conceit, for example, around the body, um, ideas of what it means for me, um, all kinds of, you know, the I'm in the body, this, uh, the body defines me, and then if they over, overly identified with the body. And, um, and that has its own suffering to do that. If we want to cultivate the heightened awareness of mindfulness, we have to find out some, we have to somehow uh, put down always experiencing our, our life through the filter, through the lens of all these concepts and ideas and conceits and me, myself, and mine and predictions that we have and start being willing to be much more simple and direct. Not only to, so we can feel the fullness, not only of the sensations, but the more fullness we can feel of our experience, the immediacy of it, the, the richer and bigger, in a sense, awareness is, the more lucid it becomes. That lucid awareness gets clouded over when we start living in these thoughts and ideas and concepts we have, uh, which are, you know, usually less than 100% accurate. But the more importantly, they're not needed all the time. What uh, this, four, this practice of four foundations of mindfulness that the Buddha taught, he is really interested in taking awareness, cultivating strong for a particular purpose. In modern uh, society, where we teach, you know, mindfulness is taught almost everywhere now, mindfulness is being presented as something that's useful in everyday life, which it is. And it's supposed to be applicable in every, all situations. You bring mindfulness and it helps you out. I think the Buddha would have been happy with the saying that. But he was actually interested in, in, uh, in this text in using mindfulness to cultivate a very heightened kind of awareness that's not really so useful for walking around in everyday life and filling out your taxes and getting your car, oil changed card, you know, figuring out what to buy at the supermarket. Um, uh, he, he, he wanted to develop such a heightened sense of awareness that the mind, or how we perceive the experience, becomes very, very, very simple. Without a lot of concepts and ideas and judgments, just the simplicity of the experience in the moment. Not because we're supposed to live that way all the time, but because in meditation, especially if you can have this very radical simplicity of just the immediacy of the experience, that turns out to be a very good means to cultivate a very stable, peaceful, equanimous mind. A mind that is not troubled by anything. A mind which is not bothered by anything. A mind that's not being pushed around by desires and wanting something. A mind that's not being pushed around by aversion and, and not wanting things. And to be able to, f- to drop into a mind that has that level of peace and equanimity and stillness, it really helps 
not to be spinning around a lot of these thoughts and concepts and judgments that we have. And if we can have that level of equanimity and stillness of the mind, that's when we can have uh, discover something about the mind's capacity for a radical experience of not clinging to anything, not being attached to anything. And that is very healing. It's a very powerful lesson that our mind, that we take kind of for granted, uh, that it is the way it is, has a potential for a wonderful sense of happiness and peace that's independent of anything at all. Our happiness is not dependent on winning the lottery or getting a good partner or having a good job or having, you know. There's a radical, deep sense of satisfying, nourishing happiness, well-being that can come from this deep letting go. That's what the Buddha was really pointing at. So in this Four Foundations of Mindfulness practice, he's presenting these ways of being mindful, of paying attention, that's supportive for getting to that place. The exercise of t- I'm going to talk about today, uh, the uh, uh, the um, I think it's the sixth exercise in the in the body section, is called mindfulness of the elements. That's how it's usually translated into English. Uh, datus in Pali, Buddhist language, and um, and the uh, and before I tell you what these four elements are. I'll tell you the simile that the Buddha gives after he describes them. He says, it's like a butcher. You know, this is the ancient world. This is back in the Bronze Age, so a long time ago. Um, a butcher who... Uh, 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 car- there's a dead cow on the road, somehow. That's what somehow they say in the road. You know, they didn't have refrigeration then. so they, And, and the, uh, the butcher uh, slices up the cow to make all these cuts then lays them all out so people can come and buy the cow buy meat once the cow is cut open and cut up in all these pieces uh, the, uh, the butcher doesn't see a cow anymore just sees the individual cuts of meat distinct you know the cow doesn't exist anymore so it's a rather maybe unfortunate simile for us but um, but uh, it's possible that rather than seeing ourselves as Gil or as m- myself, me, myself, and mine is a it comes it's a magnet for so many complicated ideas, my history and my future and what people like of me and don't like of me and am I going to be rejected and you know once it's this me thing, it's like quickly depressing. But what about if we don't think that way? Is there some other way of experiencing ourselves? And so the Buddha says you can uh, you can uh, start focus on yourself and experience here, and experience not the self who's suffering, not the self who's happy, but experience the sensations. Moment moment living immediacy of sensations in themselves. And just like maybe a butcher cuts the, the cow in four pieces, so 
for the, for us there are four elements, the four categories of sensations that we can experience physically. And just our tuning into the sensation level of all this is a means to experience fullness, a means to begin putting down and reorienting ourselves so we're not so oriented through the concepts and judgments and get the benefit of feeling the vibrancy and the immediacy and fullness of life in the simplicity of the experience. So there are four elements and, and, um, and there's uh, earth, water, fire, and air. And people who teach this will often say that this is an ancient kind of physics, you know, that this is the elements of the world, it's how it's all built up uh, on these four things, like atoms or something. The way that it's usually understood in Buddhism is that, um, is that these are sensations that we experience. So the earth uh, element are those sensations of solidity that we have in our body, hardness and solidity. Anything that's hard and solid in the body is the earth element. That um, um, anything that's uh, liquid or fluid or, or cohesive that holds things together like sticky stuff, uh, that's the water element. The fire element is temp- anything has to do with temperature. And the movement, air, is anything to do with movement. So the blood moving through the, uh, the veins, the heart beating, uh, anytime you move, if you're walking or something, uh, there's the movement. The movement of air, like the wind, is the is, uh, that we say that's the, the movement is the, the air element. The word datu, which is translated as element, it probably shouldn't be translated as element, because then we think we're talking about ancient kind of I don't know physics. The word is used for many other things. Uh, Equanimity is a datu. Renunciation is a datu. Wisdom is a datu. Um, I think a better translation for datu is a quality. It's, there are different qualities of experience we can have, or maybe even characteristics. And so we have these different characteristics of experience. And physically, we can experience um, these sens- level of sensations. The way that uh, mindfulness practice was taught in Burma at the preeminent, there was one particular teacher and place in Burma from which the uh, modern mindfulness movement exploded. It had a kind of in the place that started uh, uh, in the 1940s. And from there, that monastery produced hundreds of meditation monasteries in Burma and the rest of the world. And... and, uh, started by a teacher named Mahasi Sayadaw, kind of my grandfather in the Dharma. And, uh, and when he taught this mindfulness practice, he was teaching a four elements meditation. That was his primary focus on what, what the meditation was about. And it looked like he was to- telling us to focus on breathing, and he'd have us focus on the, our, our, our abdomen, and as we breathed, we'd feel the lifting and falling of the abdomen, the movement of the abdomen as we were breathing. But we weren't, it wasn't supposed to be the breathing we're focusing on. We're supposed to focus on these four elements, the sensations, and really tune into the sensations that are at play when the belly is moving. The, the pressure, the hardness, the tension, the release, the movement, the lightness, the temperature, 
that uh, all these different things that are coming into play. And as the idea was to tune into that more and more, and if, and if something else arose elsewhere in the body, to do the four elements meditation there, to really feel the sensations of it. If we went to see our teacher and said, oh, you know, I had a lot of pain, it was hard, it was depressing, it's, you know, I'm always having a hard time in my life, and he didn't want to hear you. He basically sent you back to your cushion to meditate more. What he wanted to hear was, um, uh, I was sitting and there was a lot of burning sensations in my knee. I felt it as burning. I felt it as tension and tightness. And as I started feeling it, uh, it started to dissolve some of the hard solidity of it. And it became more of a tingling, vibrating flow of temperature. When we came and told them, oh, I'm having such a hard time, and I'm always having a hard time, and you know, here I'm having a hard time again, and it has to do with my parents. Um, that's going off into the story. That's going in the opposite direction into a more complicated world, which has some truth to it, has a time and place where that need, needs to be looked at. But it's not the direction that this practice was focused on when we're trying to get to this deep place of peace and equanimity, that we're learning to put down these things, we're learning this radical lesson that we don't have to always experience ourselves through the filter of the standard concepts and ideas that we're operating under. And one of the, and some of those have to do with me, myself, and mine. And it's a radical thing to do, to learn a whole other, it's like learning a different language of how to experience ourselves um, through this, just the sensations, the simplicity of sensations. And so to, uh, you know, just meditate and close the eyes and f- just feel the immediacy of sensations independent of what it means that they're having those sensations, independent on, you know, it being you who's experiencing them, independent on where it's going, independent of, you know, any interpretation or concept. Just the simplicity of it. It's hard, I think, to be convinced that this is important and useful to do, but there's a lot of lessons from that. A really important life lesson is to start seeing really clearly the influence of these stories and ideas we have, the concepts. Because they're often quite invisible to ourselves, how much they're operating, and how much they bring, cause our difficulties and suffering. And to be able to do this exercise, we're trying intentionally not to focus on them, to focus on sensations, just sensations. As we get better at it, then we start noticing much more clearly the difference between the sensations and the overlay of thoughts and concepts that can creep in. And to be able to see that distinction and see concepts and stories for themselves rather than having them be invisible is a fantastic life lesson. It gives us a lot of freedom, a lot of actually choice, a lot of power. It's very empowering to do that. To not see the story's interpretation is actually disempowering because we don't see where we have choice. We're just kind of stuck in this world that we're kind of constructing. It also is very powerful to be able to have an experience of well-being, of peace, that's uh, experienced independent of all these stories and ideas we have and identities that we live in. And it's very powerful because it sets the stage 
for this very peaceful, equanimous mind that the Buddha was hoping people would cultivate and develop. This very simple, simple, I guess I shouldn't say simple mind, that no one will come back to meditate again. But uh, but very simple experience. So that the mind can start discovering it has, it can relax more, it can let go more. So these four elements, these four qualities or characteristics of our sensations, and um, and to tune into them at the tune into our experience here in the sensation level, and to feel the fullness of it. So if you're experiencing your breathing, all the sensations are coming into play as you breathe. If you have a headache, all the sensations of your headache, as opposed to poor me. If you have, uh, if you're feeling warm, all the sensations of warmth, all the detailed manifestations of the warmth, you know, how it flashes in and out and moves around and does all this stuff. And it becomes a rich, interesting world to get absorbed in that and focus on that and be with it. So that's one of the important exercises in this Four Foundations of Mindfulness texts. I've known people who absolutely love doing this, focusing on this. Some of the people I've known who love it a lot, love it because they feel it connects them very deeply with the natural world. Um, The, uh, you know, the earth, water, fire and air. And somehow they feel that there's this kind of um, intimacy with the natural world that's in themselves. People I know who you know, people really kind of love the natural world, going for hikes and being with it, and to feel that, to realize that what they're experiencing in these sensations is kind of like the natural world as it appears and manifests in us. And they find it very, very comforting to feel that and be that and experience it. So that was my effort to try to convey how this is an important way of cultivating mindfulness practice. And, um, and then I uh, will go on from here as we go through this text, all these different exercises and the approaches for cultivating mindfulness. So thank you, and I hope you uh, will spend this week um, enjoying your body by not thinking so much about it, but feeling it instead. Thank you.